Hello and welcome to this episode of the Education Insider. I'm Jacob Hansen, CEO of PRP Group and one of your hosts. And I'm Chris Peeler, Editorial Director and your other host. In our work, everything starts with knowing your audience. Who are they? What's going on in their world? And how can your products make their lives easier? In each episode of the Education Insider, we speak directly to the administrators, educators, ed tech journalists, and other leaders in the education market to help you better understand and serve your audience. Welcome to the episode. We're glad to have you. Hi, it's Chris Peeler, and I am here with Rhea Kelly from Campus Technology. Hey, Rhea. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So what is your title there at Campus Technology these days? I am Editor-in-Chief. Excellent. And how long have you been there? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I always have to do the math when somebody asks me that. So I guess this would be, oh gosh, I'm bad at math, 16 years, 17 years? I think 17 years. Okay. So you speak from a (laughs) a position of experience there. Yes. I didn't start out as an expert, but I, you know, you, you just tend to learn a lot by observing the field for so many years. So. Yeah. Well, and so I would love to glean some insights from your perspective as the editor of a national publication about the funding landscape in higher ed, because a lot of our customers and a lot of our listeners are folks who are in K-12 and are kind of curious about higher ed and want to know how it's different, what they might need to do differently. So first of all, can you give a, you know, a big picture of the funding landscape right now? Sure. Gosh, this is such a interesting time with it just feels like there's money flying around. And so in higher education, we've had, I think, three rounds of coronavirus relief funds on the higher education side. They're called HERSH funds, stands for Higher Education Emergency Relief Funds. And a lot of those have been focused largely on student aid. So really straight up giving money to students to help them get through, you know, those tough times. And then to some extent, it's being spent on technology to do things like ensure the continuity of continuity of teaching and learning and student services during the pandemic and I guess post-pandemic. There's also the infrastructure bill that allocated $65 billion to expand broadband across the United States. And that's something that higher education is able to tap into as well. Um, common thing that happens is, you know, big universities kind of partnering with local governments or organizations to get broadband access in place for rural communities. There's a thing they call middle mile broadband. So it's definitely an important area of focus in, in higher ed. I would say the main challenge with all of these funding opportunities is that they're, they're like extremely difficult to navigate. I'll be honest, I have tried and failed <laughs> to like Google things and figure it well, out. Well, is there a figure that people are throwing around? Because in K-12, people are talking about these billions of dollars of funds from the ESSER and the CARES that are unspent. Is there unspent money in higher ed as well? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I hear a lot of different numbers, and that's the thing that I've tried to figure out what the number is and exactly what the deadline is, and it's so hard. And I think that kind of puts me in the same boat as the higher education audience, because nobody has time to figure this stuff out. 
I'd say, so definitely there are unspent funds out there. And I think there are institutions that either aren't aware of the unspent funds that they have, or they might not be aware of the funds that are available to them. So it's a big opportunity there for, for vendors really to lead the conversation around funding and kind of be that source of information <laughs> to help right. these higher institutions figure out what, what to do and not miss out on the opportunity, you know, because it's a lot of money out there. And are you seeing in your news coverage, are you seeing universities making big investments in technology or is that kind of tapered off since, say, you were talking about the big investment in broadband? I would say, you know, coming out of the pandemic, it's been a super interesting time for technology in higher ed because in a lot of ways, the pandemic kind of jump-started this concept of digital transformation. So out of necessity, you know, when there was that that hard pivot to remote work and learning and campus closures and all of that, you know, universities had to embrace doing things remotely that, you know, they had to re embrace technology for, for, you know, even communicating with each other or collaborating. They had to bolster their networks. They had to, you know, put wireless, more wireless access everywhere. I mean, there were universities providing wireless in their parking lots so that students could come in and get get, you know, connectivity that they needed for their for their classes. Even things like, you know, small but important things like digital signatures for, you know, administrative thing tasks. There are a lot of archaic processes that were in place at the time. You know, just having hard copies of checks that needed to be signed you know, to, right. to go out. I'm thinking of those um, old mimeograph machines that printed out in blue that you had to crank. Right. And they had that smell. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the pandemic kind of, I mean, I think one of the silver linings is that it forced a lot of change in terms of technology. And that's still going on because, you know, the stuff that you jump to during an emergency is not necessarily the stuff you want in place for the long term. So there's kind of a a period of making sense of this new normal and maybe the new possible, like like what's possible with technology now that we have- I like that, the new possible. That's better than the new normal. Yeah, yeah. I've also heard the new now because the new normal, it kind of it connotes a status quo. And that's something that we can't really afford to to stay in that, you know, in the status quo anymore. So, yeah, there's been that prolifer proliferation of new tools during the pandemic. There's a need to rein some of those in, uh, maybe right. standardize things, maybe, you know, officially roll out one unified communication solution as opposed to everyone jumping to, you know, Zoom and Google and Teams and, you know, whatever they could grab at the time. There's the need to manage security, cybersecurity, you know, that's a, a big challenge. And also I'd say investment in infrastructure just to support this new model of existence. So, um, you know, networks, the cloud, th these are all areas where I'm seeing big investments. And the idea that IT really has to be prepared for anything, you know, it's, it's, you, you, you need to be able to 
pivot quickly, but pivot to anything. <laughs> so a contingency plan is kind of, you know, I don't know, it's kind of like a starburst of, of the directions that you might need to go. And so that's that's quite the burden on on IT teams these days. And I just think these are really big existential changes that, that require big investments for sure. And so if there is a company that wants to work with universities and, and maybe take advantage of some of this opportunity, who are the people that they need to connect with at universities? Yeah, I love this this question because it's it's not one answer. So definitely you want to start with the CIO. You want to start at the top because, you know, ultimately these decisions have a lot of factors that need to be taken into consideration. You know, cybersecurity is a big one. Accessibility is another. And so there are a lot of things that go into making those technology decisions. But at the same time, the decision-making process in higher ed, I like to call it very democratic. So for a big technology project, there's going to be a steering committee that's going to bring in perspectives from all different levels. It's going to, there's going to be faculty on that committee. There might even be students on that committee. So, you know, in order to sell to higher ed, you have to understand those stakeholders and be able to speak to those different perspectives. But, you know, don't try to run around the CIO because there's, there's a word for that. They call it shadow IT. And, and it's a big, it's actually a big problem. Like, for example, a common, common example is like a faculty researcher who just wants a server to be able to, you know, do their computational research. And so they might have that just under their desk, something that they've bought on their own, or, you know, it's kind of like they're, it's a rogue server. Or even, you know, that exists in the cloud too. Like they could have their own, you know, oh, I'll just go to, to AWS myself and get what I need. But then when you start looking at it across the board, it's very expensive to have all these individual servers operating independently. And so there's a need to kind of hunt down those those instances of shadow IT and and can sort of bring them into the fold and say, hey, we can provide this, you know, the, we can serve your computing needs, but you need to do it in this centralized way. So you don't want to be the vendor that, uh, you know, is contributing to the problem. So that's why right. I, I, I- Is anybody making a movie called Shadow IT with Matt Damon in it? I feel like that seems like <laughs> something that- I happen. think that he should. And it, yeah, it should be like an action thriller. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, so that sort of leads me to my next question, which is, are there different people that vendors need to talk to in terms of hardware versus software? Are there different categories of, of folks that they need to connect with? Or is it all kind of the same flowchart, starting with the CIO and going through a steering committee? I think that, you know, it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. I would say if... IT is buying a bunch of laptops, you know, just to give to faculty members. That's probably not necessarily something that needs a steering committee. So that's going to be, you know, maybe a primarily an IT decision. But if they're going to revamp their student information system and there's a lot of different 
types of users that, you know, are stakeholders in, in how that system is going to work on campus. Maybe it would be correct to say that software tends to have more of that, that democratic approach. But also institutional IT structures vary a lot, something I, I, I should have mentioned earlier. You know, sometimes it's highly centralized where you have one IT organization overseeing everything. And sometimes it's decentralized. Sometimes you have a small central IT that provides certain kind of fundamental services. And then you have individual departments that have their own autonomous IT like IT units. So you would, might have a IT that's serving the College of Business or something like that. And of course, those organizations work together, but that structure really changes, you know, who you might be approaching for whatever technology. So I think the important thing is just to like know your customer, do the research, figure out what their organizational structure is. A lot of times you can find it posted on the website. So there's a lot of like, public information, you'll, you'll find strategic plans for IT university websites, a lot of like valuable info there. So just like do your homework. Excellent. Now, from your perspective, what would you say are some of the biggest tech challenges that universities are facing and how can the folks who are hoping to serve them help? Yeah, well, the first one that comes to mind and this actually going back to talking about the pandemic is is relevant to that and it's cybersecurity so you know it, that's one of the side effects of everyone working remotely is that suddenly you've gone from a campus network that is primarily on campus to a network that is in people's homes. It's, you know, maybe they're using their own personal computer to access campus systems. Maybe their computer is shared with, a, you know, with a child or a sibling or, you know, a family member. And that just makes it especially tricky to balance, you know, or to really to protect um, the campus systems. Mm -hmm. And then there's also always been a difficult balance in higher education it's because it's by nature an open environment. It's all about information and knowledge sharing. And so it, it's kind of hard to lock that down. And so that that's kind of a the balance between, you know, we, we need total security, but then we need total access. Right. And then on top of that, user access is tricky on its own because you have people who are in multiple roles on campus. You know, you might be a student, but you might also be working in the registrar's office. Maybe you need access to confidential student records that you, you know, wouldn't normally get if your role, your sort of designated role on the network is a student. Um, and then that student is going to be leaving after four years, you know? <laughs> so right. there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of changing roles. The, the whole remote work and learning thing. And all of this, I think, is con contributes to why education is a target for cyber attacks. Every year, it seems like there are studies that come out that say, oh, you know, the, the number of cyber attacks on education has jumped, you know, 8% or, you know, mm -hmm. it just is, it goes up every year. And, you know, it's it's kind of like a treasure trove of, sensitive information, like personal identifying information, 
also research data. So there's a lot of kind of attractive things about about higher education in terms of attract, you know, about being a target for for cyber attacks. Yeah. The the other thing, big challenge that I see in in higher ed has to do with data. So last year, Educons came out with a new data and analytics of its annual Horizon report. This is a, a report that looks at sort of the biggest trends, kind of tries to forecast, you know, what are going to be the important topics in the coming year. Um, and that would so, be something really, good for people to take a look at as a beginning of their research, I would think. Yes, for sure. I It was... I mean, it's always, I mean, the Horizon Report in general is always pretty interesting. But the fact that they drilled down into data and analytics, it really provided a picture of the challenges in, in a detailed way. And one of the biggest things they pointed to was data silos. So the data in higher education is all in individual systems and different, you know, software across campus. And it's been a challenge to integrate that, but there's there's a big need to integrate that because, you know, one of the, the things that is, one of the aspects of digital transformation is being able to utilize all that data for decision-making and kind of, in, you know, improve all kinds of things, whether it's student success or just knowing, you know, where where you are as an institution. And so it's been a kind of a, I mean, it's always been a challenge, but I think it's just something that, that no one has figured out yet. <laughs> um, right. Now, one problem. way I think to help people figure this out is to get together and talk about it. And I understand that the folks at Campus Technology are having a conference soon. Is that right? That's right. So we're launching a new in-person conference called Tech Tactics in Education. It's going to be taking place in November, November 7th through 9th in Orlando. And actually, our two areas of focus for the conference are cybersecurity and data. Our kind of tagline for the conference is data and IT security in the new now. So we're really looking to provide, you know, kind of strategic discussions on what these issues are paired with hands-on training, real like concrete tips that you can take back to your institution and, and solve problems. So very exciting. And it, it's going to be across K-12 and higher education. So I think Excellent. that's exciting as well. And yeah, you know, uh, we picked these topics, you know, kind of a while ago. <laughs> and But I think it, it's, it's interesting to watch how they just, they're so evergreen, but also they just continue to get more and more critical. Right. And they, well, and so they, looking forward from here, how do you see the higher ed market shifting in the next couple of years? Or is it just going to stay the same for, for a while? Well, I mean, higher education is notorious for being slow to change. So, I mean, all of these things will continue to be important, but there are some emerging technology areas that I think are are 
kind of causing existential changes. So, and one of those areas is artificial intelligence. Um, this is something it impacts a, a bunch of different areas. I mean, um, so obviously things like chat GPT are, are hot news right now in terms of how that's going to impact learning, you know, plagiarism concerns, all that stuff. And that's definitely a big deal, but artificial intelligence also is going to impact the way work is done. You know, it's going to maybe potentially automate certain tasks in IT. And so it just, I think, is this very fast moving technology area that has a lot of potential to do good and bad. So that'll be a, a big area to watch. And then the yeah, other I just saw one about one of those chat programs passing I think the SATs and the LSATs and a bunch of those exams. So it's, it's yeah, interesting to well, think about the implications of that. It kind of goes to how effective are these exams really at measuring knowledge if, you know, if AI can can pass them. So it's it's causing people to rethink assessment. Um rethink, you know, how you teach certain subjects, you know, how I actually just interviewed someone for my podcast about the future of, of writing instruction in terms of chat. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was super interesting. So one of the things there is, is crafting writing assignments that, you know, actually embrace the use of chat GPT. The example that my guests brought up was, you know, you could have both, you could have the student write a, like a summary of some kind of piece of writing and then have ChatGPT do the same thing, then have the students analyze the differences, you know, between the two and like what's better or, or worse. And so, you know, it was, that was pretty interesting. That is a good use of it, I think rather than just people taking it and, and using it to do things in secret, whatever other uses. I, I read an interview with, I think it was ChatGPT before the new version was out, and that was sort of eerie, where it could answer certain questions, but then kind of hit a cliff where it, it couldn't answer certain more sort of subjective questions. So that's a, it yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's been interesting to play with. The other big area of change in, in higher ed Something I like call workforce readiness. This is something that goes, it kind of drills down into the core value of a higher education because, you know, right. you're spending like $100,000 on, on, you know, your education. What are you getting out of it? Are you actually going to be able to find a career or, or you know, make a living <laughs> based on, on that education? And and do you necessarily even need a college degree to get the career you want? And so that's something that there's a lot of new learning pathways, I guess I'd, I'd call it. Right. Like micro-credentialing I'm reading a lot about. Yeah. And so it, it's like suddenly higher education has this form of competition that, that they haven't had to, to deal with before. And they they need to kind of get in there. And, and make sure they're serving the needs of their students, you know, and if the needs are changing, then higher education needs to change too. Well, I think that is an excellent place to wrap this up. Rhea Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. 
Yeah, thanks. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Education Insider. We know that you have a lot of choices of content and appreciate that you spent some time with us. Please take a few more seconds and share this podcast, share this episode, write us a review, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help us continue to offer up content and allow more folks to find us. And please do join us next time for more conversation with the people who know education best.